today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians 2, chapters 11 to 22. Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Rem remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become one holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling with God lives in his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Prash. I'm the senior minister here at St. Stephen's and a very warm welcome. A warm welcome if you're uh, new, visiting, maybe you found us on the feed, stick with us. I, I think the next uh, 20 minutes or so uh, will be worth listening to because it's stuff that's coming from the Bible um, and it it's, relates to our church life here. A warm welcome, of course, if you're a regular. And kids, I'm looking forward to seeing pictures of giant walls. Parents, I'm sorry about what this probably will do to your lounge room, uh, but I look forward to seeing a couple of action shots of those walls being destroyed later as well. This morning, we're in week four of our vision series. One more week next week, and last Sunday of August. We've been taking the time over this month to think through our vision statement. We long to be a church made beautiful, diverse and large by the gracious work of Christ. We, we started thinking about that foundational concept of the gracious work of Jesus uh, and then we looked to the commitment to being a church, a gathered people. Uh, we looked last week at beauty as a hallmark characteristic of our community. Today we can think about this idea of diversity. Now, there was a BBC poll that was done in, the, in 2020 of people across 27 different countries. You know, what they found is 75% of um, participants said that their culture was very, their, their community was very divided. In fact, 60% said that it was more divided than 10 years ago. More divided. We have a sense that uh, we, there's more polarisation, there's more hostility. Your red states, blue states, your uh, liberal, your labour, your conservative, your uh, your progressive. You know, there's always a, there's so much division in our time. I think it's a reminder, actually, that the, all the promises of the liberal mindset 
are really not that great. Because despite us becoming a culture that's more enlightened, more liberal, we are also more divided. And, and today, I want to say, I want to put before us the challenge that God wants his church to be a church of great diversity unified around the Lord Jesus. Right? To, to find a meeting place where people of different um, ethnicities, cultures, generations can meet together and actually find common unity. Now, what does that look like? And is that really possible? Because I suspect some people out there uh, think uh, actually Christianity has been one of the causes of division. Uh, religions which have, uh, which have ultimate tr- claim to ultimate truth are the cause of division. But uh, before you entrench that opinion, would you spend some time reflecting on Scripture with me this morning, uh, and particularly that passage from Ephesians chapter 2, which Eric just read for us. And, and as we look at that chapter, the first verse is, is helpful because it's actually talking about division. Therefore, says Paul, remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Paul is talking about a very key division that existed in first century Jewish culture between Jews, people born in the nation of Israel, and everyone else, Gentiles. It's a very key division, actually. It's the fundamental division for Jewish people. There's Jews and then there's Gentiles. In fact, one author said this, the first century Jew had an immense contempt for Gentiles, an immense contempt for Gentiles. There's all these rules and regulations which they bought into, and they really did see themselves not just as different, but as better, as blessed, and Gentiles as not. And so, and this translated not just into cultural things, but into their religious practices too. You know, the, the, the temple built by Herod had an outer court and an inner court. The outer court was for Gentiles, but the inner court was only for Jews. You know, there was a sense in which you could only get so far with God uh, in, that, in that kind of first century Jewish culture. There really was actually division. There was the kind, kind of division we really don't ever want to see in our culture, but it really did exist at the time. And Paul is speaking about the, that division. And you know what he says? He has something wondrous to say. Look at this, verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. He's saying that the, the central purpose of God's great plan is to overcome this division. To overcome this division. To bring these two groups, which are so alienated, so opposed, so hostile to each other, together. That's God's great plan, is to bring these two groups together. But what's even more interesting is what he goes on to say in the next verse. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. His purpose was not to create a whole bunch more Jews, but to create a whole new humanity. This is so important, actually, because what God is trying to do is not to bring a whole people into the pre-existing Jewish culture, but to create a new humanity. I love this, because sometimes our, our, our challenge is that we're asking people to change. We say, we want you to leave everything of yours behind and become like us. But actually, the Bible's main game is to create a whole new humanity. It's, it's not denying their heritage. In fact, People continue to be known as Jewish Christians, we know in, in Acts, and people continue to be known as Gentile Christians. They have their heritage, they have their culture, but it's not definitive of who they are anymore. They're a new humanity. And this is the goal. And, and, and I guess when you 
when you reflect on what Paul's saying here, you see a message actually that, that it permeates the scriptures and it's this, that Christianity is not a religion of one people group or culture, actually. It's not a religion of one people group or culture. Now you might listen to that and say, yeah, that's great, but that's actually not the practice. Maybe, unfortunately, you've experienced a highly divisive church. Maybe you've experienced... Um, someone acting under the banner of Christianity or you've seen someone acting under the banner of Christianity to divide rather than to unify different cultures and ethnicities and generations. But I want to say to you, if that's your case, I'm sorry for that. It's also not the reality for most of the world. Here's a a great graph. This is um, a survey done by Pew Research, 1910 versus 2010. Right? It's a hundred years difference. You can see in 1910, a large proportion of Christians were found in Europe. But now by 2010, hundred years later, Christians are spread throughout the globe pretty much equally. America's is not just uh, North America, but South America as well, Latin America. And then you've got Europe, you've got the sub-Saharan African area, and you've got Asia Pacific, which is growing every day. And what we see there is that actually the reality of Christianity is so far from that globally. I mean, this, this is a truth that went straight back to the New Testament. You think about Jesus on the cross. When the Romans nail him to the cross, they put a title above him, the King of the Jews, but they don't just print it in, in Aramaic, which is the language of Hebrews. They print it in Greek and they print it in Latin, the language of the Roman Empire. Because actually, from the very beginning, the Christian faith has been for all nations... All ethnicities. Uh, when, you, when you look at the Bible translation, you know that the Bible is translated into 700 different languages. Uh, and the New Testament, just the New Testament, is translated into a further 1,500 languages. And then some people have gone to the trouble of translating little stories from the Bible, not the whole thing, but stories. There's a further 1,000 languages covered by those little stories. So you, you can see that portions of the Scripture have been translated in nearly over 3,000 different languages. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a desire that arrives in God's people to take the message of the Bible to more than just one cultural group or to, to make everyone learn one language. Because there's a realisation that God's great plan is actually about taking this message to every nation, to every ethnicity, to every culture. Did you know that 60% of Christians now live in the global south? And that's I mean, I give you that stat because I think if you're, if you're, if you're a migrant, if you're a, a newish visitor to church from another country, you might have thought to yourself that Christianity is actually mainly a European faith, mainly a European religion, but you're wrong. You're wrong. Jesus himself was a Palestinian. That's important to remember. And the church now primarily finds itself located not in, the, in Europe or European cultures, but in Africa and in Asia and in Latin America. That's where the most, the most believers are, 60% in the global south. Now, all of this is great. You know what this tells us actually, though, is this truth is true for us too. And I want to say, when you look around at our local area, this presents us with a wonderful opportunity yeah, uh, on Monday night, we had parish council on Zoom and Matt, our assistant minister, who looks after our outreach, presented us with a whole heap of stats 
Uh, one of the stats that he was reflecting on is just the diversity of cultures and ethnicities in our area. So there's two graphs on your screen there. The first is two-kilometre radius. This is basically what our parish is like. Okay? If you look at our parish boundaries, our official parish boundaries, 2Ks pretty much covers it. These are the people that we're officially responsible for in the Anglican system, although 2Ks is probably a good gasp of who could travel to our church easily. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a decent amount of um, diversity. Look at Chatswood, though, the second one. That's, that's also part, a large part of the suburb of Chatswood is actually in our parish, even though we're St. Stephen's Willoughby. Look at that. Only 45% of people are born in Australia. Now, that means 50, 55, 56% of people, 55, 54% of people are born outside of Australia. And quite a variety. I mean, of course, there's mainland China, there is Korea, there's Hong Kong, there's India, there's Taiwan. There is a significant array of ethnicities and cultures found on our very doorstep, our very doorstep. In fact, that's why we, as part of our vision statement, include that longing, that descriptor of diversity. We long to be a church that is ethnically, culturally, generationally diverse. We want to meet that. Partly, we want to do that because that's what the Bible lays out as God's vision for his church, a group of people who are ethnically, culturally, and generationally diverse. But it's not just a theological or biblically inspired vision, as great, as important, and necessary as that is. It's a culturally determined vision as well because that's the, that's the area that we live in. You, you might know that Matt, our assistant, is finishing at the end of the year after five years here, and that's, that's a sad moment for us as a church. So we're thinking about where to go next. And the parish council, the wardens and I, when we talked about this, we're all committed that the next person needs to help us reach this ethnically diverse community so that we are a church which accurately reflects the local area and the biblical vision for God's church. And so as the, as the selection panel has been meeting over the last week to interview candidates, this has been a key question. What can, how can this person help us as a church to reach this group of people? How can they help us? And, and I want to say that is the opportunity that lies before us. That's a real opportunity. It's something that God has laid before us and kindly given us people who've travelled from overseas to live in our midst. It's a great opportunity. And yet it's also a real challenge. We have to recognise, if you come to church here on a Sunday, pre-COVID, you, you would have, have recognised the reality that though it's not a moral failing, it's not a character failing, but it is a reality that our church does not reflect the kind of diversity we saw in those two graphs. It doesn't. It doesn't reflect the kind of diversity that the Scriptures is longing for and, and yearning for. That, that passage that, Matt re- that uh, uh, David read for us at the start of the service from Revelation 7. You know, we're not that church yet. It's a challenge for us. And so uh, we have to recognise that. And we have to ask ourselves, why is it a challenge actually? If this is something God's put before us, why is this so hard? You know, we've just been watching the Olympics. The Paralympics are about to start again. And at the Olympics, they love unity. They always talk about unifying all these nations. That's part of the vision statement for the Tokyo Olympics. But what's interesting is, I mean, as much as there's all this talk, there's always still, there's always still division and rifts. I mean, you ask the Russian Olympic Federation. Uh, that, 
they'll say, you want unity, but you didn't want us there. I mean, there might be good reasons for that. I guess my point is, as much as we long for it, there's things that just kind of creep in and make it hard, isn't there? And Paul, as he writes on this, he reflects, actually, that the division that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles exists for particular reasons, actually. And so I want to reflect on two reasons I think that God's people sometimes find it hard to bring a unity to these diverse cultures. I think the first one is that there just are genuine differences between people outside, the, outside God's church and, and the church itself. There's just genuine differences which make it hard for people to come from within. So look at Ephesians 2.12 because in this verse, Paul is listing actually the nature of the Gentiles. He says to them, remember that at that time you, the Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now he's laying out there a five-fold, five categories, five-fold distinction between Gentiles and Jews. He says Gentiles were separate from Christ. They didn't know him. They didn't have a sense of him. They were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. They weren't part of that nation. They were foreigners to the promise. They hadn't heard the promises that God had given in the Old Testament. They were without hope. They didn't have a sense of eternally good things. And they were without God. They didn't know God. Now, in a sense, you and I are, well, many people listening on are Gentiles, in the sense that you weren't born in the nation of Israel. You're not culturally Jewish. And so on one level, there is a truth to that exists. But I think it's more the principles behind those statements which can be translated even now into the 21st century. And as we look at each of those, those five things that are said about the Gentiles... I think you can see how they actually translate into our surrounding community and make it genuinely hard for people outside the church to hear the gospel, to hear the message that God is bringing and to accept it. You know, look, if you, if you put up uh, Ephesians 2 again and you compare it, here's how I think you could see the similarities. So he said the Gentiles, first century Gentiles, separate from Christ. You think about our surrounding community, that's, that's so true. I mean... So many people have no real knowledge of Jesus. And particularly if you come from a, a, an ethnicity or if you're a migrant ethnicity or culture that's not Anglo, that's not European, then it's likely you don't know anything about Jesus at all. Uh, secondly, the Gentiles of first century, uh, first century culture were excluded from citizenship in Israel. In other words, they weren't part of the nation. Well, I think, you know, in our current, in our current climate, often... Uh, migrants, uh, people new to the country, or even just people outside of the church, they've never grown up in a family that's spoken about Christianity or about Christ. So they haven't grown up with that heritage that has testified to them. I mean, I think of my children, they are lucky enough to have grown up in a family that talks about Jesus. Uh, Thirdly, says, First century Gentiles were foreigners to the promise. They didn't know about it. But, see, but that you know, translates into our culture. Most people don't know the Bible. If you come from another, another culture or ethnicity, it's quite likely you've never read the Bible before. You don't even know the idioms that are just part of everyday language which arise from the Bible. And, and you certainly don't know biblical verses the way that people might have 20, 30, 40 years ago here in Australia. You're foreigners to the, 
to the promise in that sense. Where without hope, I mean, we live in a world now that is so anxious. People, so many people have no sense of any eternal good thing. We know that so much so in the pandemic, don't we? And they're without God. And well, that, of course, is the truth now. Most people live without any sense of God in their life. You see, what we're learning here is that actually to bring people who are outside in is very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard, especially if you're reading, reaching other cultures. You know why? Because this, this, as Paul is saying about the Gentiles, they're starting so far behind. They're so far back. And the reason I tell you this is that sometimes we just expect if you hire the right person or you do the right course, then it should all click and people should come in. There should be some kind of, there should be some kind of track. If you get the right track, then people will just get it and join. But the, but the task of reaching the nations is difficult. It's difficult. You can't choose an easy one. There isn't a group that's just easy to reach. If you're outside, if you haven't believed in God, it's genuinely hard. And so actually the first thing we need to do, and this is our first missional priority, is pray. We need to be people who pray. Humanly solvable problems. You know, we run a prayer meeting on Mondays, 8.30 on Zoom during COVID lockdown. There's about 150 people in our parish. But we only have about six or seven people join us. Now, I know sometimes the link doesn't work, and I'm sorry if you've had that experience, but... My sense is that there aren't 140 people trying to join with a broken link. I know there's reasons. I know there's reasons for us not to. But there's lots of reasons for us to pray. Oh, I'd love to... I, tell you, I didn't say this last week when we talked about a beautiful church. One of, my, one of my signs that we're a church that's really deepening in spiritual beauty is that our prayer meetings are overflowing with people. Overflowing with people. Because people are committed to it. They have a sense that the only way that this, this church will change, God's church will change, is if God is at work. Because it's, this genuine, it's genuinely difficult. But, I mean, that's the first and that's the major blocker to reaching the nations, to reaching other cultures. But there's also hurdles that I think God's people can put up. Look back at verse 11. Paul says, "...who are Gentiles of a birth..." And then he says, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. It's really interesting Paul adds this because, in a sense, he's alluding to a sense of prejudice within the Jews. Oh, they're the uncircumcised, but we are the circumcision. There's a sense of superiority in the language that the Jews were using to describe the Gentiles. There's a prejudicial animosity that exists between these two groups. The Jews think of themselves as better. They, they hold on to their traditions and their relationships and, and erect hurdles for the Gentiles. We have the law. We have these traditions, these religious traditions that have been passed down. You don't have that. Or we are the children of Abraham. We have this heritage, this relational lineage. You don't have that. And so they exclude the Gentiles. And Paul's speaking about that experience. But we can learn from that. I mean, we don't say, oh, we have the law or we're the children of Abraham. But we do have our traditions and we do have our relationships, as good as each of those things are, which can be hurdles to people joining. You know, traditions, gosh. Churches hold on to their traditions. We love our traditions. Make it feel comfortable. But often they're blockers. Food, clothing, decor, music, 
I mean, we love our music styles. We love what we think should be worn at church and we'll erect those things, not just as good things, but necessary things. We have our, we have our dress code. We have our music style. We have our decor. If you don't like it, choose somewhere else. But that is not the gospel. That is not the way the church should be formed. And yet you see how we can hold on to these traditions, these things that might even be good, but they're not necessary. They're not, they're not the central message. And we can inadvertently block people off. Or relationships. I tell you, this is the real challenge for long, old churches with small congregations. That's us. You've got these people you've known for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, right? And you say, we're always open to new people joining. But who are you inviting over to your home? Who's coming for dinner? Who's coming for lunch? Is it the new people? Are they the people who are sitting around your table, who you're getting to know, whose food you're enjoying, whose culture you're experiencing? Or is it actually just the same people always? You know, just setting aside five minutes after church to talk to a new person is not the answer to understanding a culture. The only way you actually overcome cultural barriers is through relationships. The only way we reach new people is by understanding them. And you can't understand someone over 10 or 15 minutes after church. We need to be a church that opens the doors. But I tell you, it's so easy. You know, it's really interesting. In verse 19, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, Consequently, he's talking to the Jews, right? As a result of what God has done, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, St. Stephen's, here's the challenge. When you see a new person, do you think of them as fellow citizens and members? Or do you say to yourself, well, once they've been here for a while, then they'll get a say? Do you inadvertently measure the value of someone's input based on the number of years they've been part of our fellowship? But Paul's not doing that. He's not saying, you Gentiles, in 10 years' time, if you're still going, then you'll be fellow citizens and members of God's household. He says, now you are. Now. And so this is a real challenge for us. Do we really do we have a willingness to say cultures, ethnicities, groups, people who are different to us but are believe in the central message of the Bible are now members are now fellow citizens with us have just as much say should be able to influence our church just as much. That's a question for you personally as you listen in. For some of you you're nodding your head saying yes. I'm so glad Others are feeling uncomfortable. I don't know which category you fall into. If you feel uncomfortable, just, just ask yourself, is this a legitimate application of what the passage is saying? If it's not, you can throw it out. But if it is, then do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? You know, I think it is. I think it is because it's the kind of church that God's been promising and asking for, for our people, his people to accept. I think it's kind of church that this area longs for, needs. We've done great ministry for 150 years, but if we're to do ministry in the next 15 months, let alone the next 150 years, if the Lord wills, then we need to accept the reality of the people around us. So how do we change? Well, the real power is in verse 17. This is it. This is the verse that 
that is the verse that Paul builds his whole new community around. He says this, he says, He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. You know, first of all, it's really important. If you are someone who's on the outside, you're looking in, you're thinking, they don't want me, right? What you need to understand is you are far away from God. That's your starting point, actually. You've got to hear what's being said about the Gentiles. People outside of God's church are far away from God. You have a spiritual issue. You are hostile to God. It, that is, it, see, Paul is not just saying, hey, come in, make this religion whatever you want it to be. We're just all about inclusion. No, he's about inclusion for the sake of transformation. He doesn't want people to remain hostile to God. They first and foremost must recognize their hostility. So it is, that, that's important. But see also what's said in verse 17. Because Jesus came and preached peace to those who were also near. In other words, those people who had their traditions, who had their religious practices, those people who had the promises, those people who were part of the citizenship of Israel, those people who'd been members for years, generations, decades, they were also in need of Jesus' ministry. Because though they might have been religiously close, they still were spiritually hostile to God. You see, this is so important. Paul's actually saying to rectify the hostility between two groups, to bring people together, they first need to deal with their issues with God because all of us actually are hostile to God. And, the, and, you know, when we start to see this, when we start to see that everyone actually is hostile to God, what it does is it levels the playing field. It says that no one deserves to be in this church, God's church. No one does. I don't. And you don't. We're all hostile to God. We might have all the religious practice in the world. We might be free of all the religious practices in the world. We are still hostile to God. And that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with. But see, the beauty of this verse is not just that it levels the playing field, it kind of tells everyone how bad they are. Look at the dynamic that's here. He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you. So much in that. Jesus came and preached peace. See the dynamic? You know, when you think about God, how might he respond to a hostile people? with judgment, with rebuke, with challenge, with punishment. No. With peace. God responds to a hostile world with peace. It's so extraordinary. If we're angry with someone, it's our temptation always to respond in anger. What we think is righteous anger. God responds with peace. And you know what? He comes to you when you're far away. He comes to you when you're angry with him. He doesn't wait for you to calm down and say sorry first. He came to us. I think of a child having a tantrum. Have you ever seen it? They just kind of lose the plot. They're kind of flailing around. Their parent comes in, gives them a hug. They're beating their parent. They're kind of raging, but slowly they kind of take all their hostility out and it's extinguished and eventually it ends in an embrace. That's what God's doing. Taking all the hostility. How does he do that? You see, it's not like he just denies there's a hostility, does he? Because look at verse 15. He takes that hostility, what? In his flesh. 
What does it look like for God to preach peace to the world? The cross. The cross, where Jesus Christ comes, meets his world, and ends up on the Roman cross. And there, in his body, accepts their hostility to Romans, to Greeks, to Jews, to Latins, to Greeks, to the Aramaic-speaking world. Jesus Christ comes and preaches peace to them. And you know, to the extent that you're willing to accept that embrace from the Lord... The hostility you have towards him is extinguished and suddenly you say, God has welcomed me. I can welcome others. I can welcome others. Now here's the thing. This means so much for us as a church. It means actually the thing we need to do to people is preach the gospel to each other. We need other people to remind us God has welcomed us, therefore welcome one another. God has welcomed me when I was far away, when I was hostile to him, so I should be able to welcome those who are far from me. We need to preach that. That actually needs to be at the heart of every communal moment, the gospel of Jesus. That needs to be at everything. That is how you build community. You know that? You don't build community around your, your likes and your dislikes because that will always entrench cult, cultural and ethnicity lines. No, you build it around the gospel which breaks them down. You build it around the gospel. You preach that every single time to each other. And you know, when you become that kind of church, something really amazing happens, says Paul. Not just you become a new humanity, not just to become a new culture, not just you start to appreciate other people's ethnicities, backgrounds and cultures, something even better than that happens. Because look at this last verse as we finish. In him, you two are being built together. Why? So you experience a new humanity, so you can say you're really inclusive? No. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. By his spirit. See, you actually experience God as riches, says Paul, when your community is this beautiful meld of cultures and ethnicities all built around Christ in Christ, because of Christ. See, the richest experience of the gospel comes when you have a rich experience of ethnic and cultural diversity. That's what we're longing for. We don't want to be diverse just for the sake of diverse. We don't want to be diverse just because that's a great buzzword in our culture. No. We want to be diverse because, well, because in that moment we start to see the beauty of the gospel which brings people who are hostile Back together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the work of the Lord Jesus and all he's done for us. For preaching peace to us when we were hostile and against you. Forgive us, Lord, that our tendency is to erect barriers and hurdles. Show us the wonder of your grace and the way you welcomed us in so that we might welcome others. And as we believe the gospel more and more, would you make us a church which reflects the wonderful cultural, ethnic diversity of our local area and is a glimpse of the church that you're promising. Amen.